You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Good morning, Pasco Vale. Welcome to another beautiful morning. I know it's cold outside, but I hope that the warmth of our fellowship will keep you warm today. Now, for the benefit of the newcomers and also those who may be listening online, my name is Elvin, and it's my privilege to bring the word of the Lord to you today. You know, last week we closed off on the mission convention messages, and today we will be continuing with our God's Plan for the World series with a five-part study on the book of Luke 9, sorry, Luke chapter 9, titled Following Jesus. Now, having heard the messages of the encouragements of the messages in the mission convention, I'm sure you're all excited, aren't you, to go out and tell people about Jesus. Oh, okay. Not very excited. Uh, Hence the, well, hopefully, hopefully today's message will again excite you to proclaim the kingdom and that's why the title of today's message is proclaim the kingdom okay but before we begin let's bow our heads and let's prepare our hearts for the word to receive the word today let's pray dear heavenly father we just thank you for the gift of scripture the benefit to read your word for ourselves we pray dear lord that we as we expound on your word that you speak to us individually in your own in our own special way holy spirit we welcome you into this place stir our hearts and move our hearts to compassion for your mission and your kingdom in jesus name we pray amen this is the uss sea dragon it's a naval submarine which served the u.s during the world war ii now why am i bringing up the submarine no it's not because of my fascination with diving them but something unique happened upon this vessel on most submarines there are medics and this submarines uh, and these submarines with their narrow corridors and uh, limited space are not suited for surgery of any kind if one needed surgery, or for whatever reason, the submarine would need to come up to the surface like what is done there, exposing themselves, and then the patient gets airlifted out or gets shipped to another naval vessel where there's a proper facility for the patient to undergo surgery. On the 11th of September 1942, pharmacist made first-class Wheeler B. Lips agonized over the most difficult decision of his life. As one of the naval officers on board the submarine was suffering severe pain in the abdomen. Despite giving the officer some rest, the officer was, was getting bad to worse. And Wheeler had diagnosed him with a severe case of appendicitis. His appendix was so swollen, so badly, that he was about to burst. The officer needed surgery almost immediately or fast, but they were in dangerous waters. In the middle of a war, surfacing was not an option, as you would put the entire crew at risk. Wheeler was commanded by the ranking officer to undertake the surgery on board the submarine. As he got to the point of either do 
or the officer dies. Wheeler was very hesitant at first as he was not properly trained to undertake a surgical procedure on his own, let alone the submarine did not have the facilities or the equipment to do so. Whilst he received some training from the naval doctors and observed some procedures from afar, he was never qualified to do the surgery himself. And the ship, again, was not equipped for the task. The ship's medical kit provided a few basics, 12 hemostats, a packet of scalpel blades, and a limited, number of, limited quantity of ether. The rest of the instruments had to be improvised. A hermostat became a scalpel handle. Five tablespoons got bent and they were used as retractors. Commercially sterilized handy pads substituted for gauze sponges. A tea strainer covered with gauze served as a mask for administering the ether. Boiling water and torpedo alcohol provided sterilization. The operation table, the operation would then be performed on a wardroom table no bigger than this. This table is barely long enough for the patient to stretch out or without his head or feet hanging over the edge. This was what they had to contend with. Wheeler did his best and soon after, the officer came back to consciousness and within a short period of time, he was back on his feet, serving again. This was the first recorded appendectomy in history that occurred underwater. Now what made this event unique was not that someone who was untrained and poorly equipped could perform such a, such a procedure in the most challenging of environments. What made it special was that he could do it and yet succeed. You know, some of us might find the challenge of following Jesus into his mission is frightening and perhaps overwhelming for us. Much like what, how Wheeler must have felt when he was asked to undertake such a surgery. After all, this is people's lives here we're talking about. We feel unprepared. We do not have the right tools. Or perhaps the environment is not right. The task is enormous or the pressure is too great. But from the story, we've learned that ordinary people have been called upon to do extraordinary things. And miracles do occur. And lives can be saved. We may not be, we may not be adequate, but God is. We may not have the right tools, but God does. We do not know the right words, but God speaks to us and through us. God calls upon ordinary people like Wheeler to do extraordinary things. Luke 9, 1 to 2 writes, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Friends, God sent the disciples to proclaim the kingdom and praise God they did. Thank God that they did. If they hadn't, we might have a problem on our hands, wouldn't we? The task was enormous and huge. The opposition was real and dangerous. Yet God used ordinary fishermen, tax collectors, 
and even doctors to bring the good news to the entire world. There were 12 disciples when Jesus began his ministry. How many disciples are there now in the world today? Look at what 12 ordinary, obedient men could do which resulted in the gospel being proclaimed even today. Now imagine if we as Christ's disciples continued that legacy. How many more generations will get to hear the gospel? Jesus was not satisfied to proclaim the good news only to a handful of people in the town that he was in. His mission was to reach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For he was sent for this purpose, as we read in Luke chapter 4, verse 43 to 44. Friends, we can't simply say we follow Jesus, but not have an interest in his mission. We cannot be his disciples if we do not see the urgency of the call. Jesus, like Willis, saw his colleague or friend on the doorsteps of death, and he wants to help his friend. Jesus wants to help those whom he loves. What about us? What about us? Do we share in his passion? Do we share in his urgency? Do we share in his mission? Think of it this way. As a family, we don't get the the benefit of shelter, food, security, love and support only. But to be truly part of the family, we have to contribute to the family as well, don't we? We don't all get the good stuff. We need to do things like take out the trash, do the laundry, fold the clothes, wash dishes, clean the toilet, do the gardening, clean out the vomit. You know what I mean. Being part of a family means we get to share the good things, but also we offer our services for the things that are not so desirable. Likewise, with God's family, whilst we enjoy the grace and mercy and the joy and the love, we too should also share in the passion for those who are lost and those who are suffering and those who need the gospel. We should have a sense of urgency in proclaiming Christ, especially to those at death's door. I dare say this is not news to us. We've probably heard it preached a dozen times in church or even online sermons or whatever. But we yet, we give ourselves the excuse of not being ready or that we do not have the skills or tools to be able to do the task. Friends, we know that these are not true. They are excuses made to make ourselves feel better but not having done anything. We need to proclaim the kingdom. It may seem overwhelming and scary, but it's something that we as his children and disciples need to do. In the next few verses, Jesus would only, not only highlight the nature of the disciples' mission, but also the urgency of that mission. In verse 3, he says, travel light, 
take nothing for your journey, no staff, not bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have tunics. And go spread the gospel, proclaim, go heal. Where they are welcome, stay. Where they are, where they are rejected, go. Friends, Jesus does not require us to become a pastor or a preacher or a seminary graduate to go proclaim Jesus. You and me, He wants us. The people sitting in this room, He wants you to go proclaim the kingdom. The fisherman, the tax collector, the housewife, the salaryman, the brother, the sister, the father, the daughter, the son, the retired, we all need to do our part in the proclamation of that kingdom. Nothing should be holding us back if we choose to serve in God's mission but us. If you are willing and your heart is ready, God will provide what you require. I'm not saying you don't prepare for missions, but instead, to not let preparations stop you from then taking steps towards the proclamation of the kingdom. Hopefully the messages from the mission convention has set the context for us and remind us that we are actually in an actual spiritual war. Friends, when one is at war, nobody cares what you wear. Nobody cares if you are wearing a suit or a t-shirt, a dress or a blouse. Nobody cares if your clothes match or is attire suitable for the occasion or is it your Sunday's best. If you have time to consider these things over the need to serve and to proclaim the kingdom, you probably do not understand the urgency of the mission at hand. Some might say, what if they reject me? And not listen to me or persecute me. I'm scared or I'm fearful of rejection. Friends, as I've shared with many over evangelism workshops and stuff, people often do not reject you personally. What they reject is the message or the gospel that you bring. Friend, God calls us to proclaim the kingdom, not change a person's heart. The Holy Spirit is responsible for that. Our role is merely to proclaim, welcome and support and encourage all who accept the proclamation. Much like how we welcome them into our homes like brothers and sisters and support and encourage each other like family. For those who reject the message, for most it's not you that they reject, but the authority and the mercy of Jesus that they reject. Most people won't have any issue with you. But some just do not like the message that you bring because you're confronting them. You're confronting them with a choice. It's Jesus or an eternity of damnation. That's why they don't like you. But love them to Christ. Show them what it means to be under God's grace. Love and mercy Show them what it looks like. But if they continue to choose to reject the gospel, friends, the Holy Spirit will be their judge. So shake off your sense of fear and rejection. And remember that their rejection will someday be their testimony against them. 
it's going to be far more scary for them than it will ever be for you. It will be much more scarier for them than it will be for you. If you feel inadequate, do not fear, for you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus promises us if we obey and listen and do His mission. Our mission is not simply to those around us. It extends to the ends of the earth. Ask God, how can you play a role in this mission to reach the ends of the earth? Ask God, how am I to do it? Am I going to be a sender? Am I a goer? Am I a, a preparer? Or am I to go myself? Ask Him how you can play a role in His great mission. But whatever you do, our mission needs to be radically Christ-centered. It is to proclaim the kingdom of God that the King is here and that Jesus is Lord and He has come to save. Our mission is not simply to promote a way of life. Our mission is not simply to feed the hungry and to clothe the poor. No, our mission is to reveal Jesus in all that we do. In all that we do. Our mission is to reveal who Jesus is and to bring people to encounter Him. That is our mission. Now notice here that the disciples ministered in such a way that in verses 7 to 9, Harold does not even ask who these disciples are. Instead, he asks who Jesus is. What an interesting question. Their ministry is to point to Jesus. And when confronted with Jesus, those who oppose will be perplexed because they know that if Jesus is real, then judgment befalls them because of their rejection or because of the things they have done. In the sense of Herod, because he hated John the Baptist. Friends, we are called to heal the sick and feed the hungry and to clothe the poor. But alongside that, the gospel message is our responsibility to care not just for the spiritual uh, for the people spiritually, but physically and emotionally too, just like Jesus did. Now in cross culture, we have a ministry called the Street Family Chapel. Now on Saturday evenings, the volunteers provide meals for people in the city, but the mission does not end there. You see, the meal is but a platform for conversations about Jesus around the dinner table. They do a short chapel service together with their guests to share the gospel with them and to share a meal whilst also, taking, whilst also talking about Christ and how they are doing personally. Likewise, the healing, the, 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 the casting out of demons was but a platform for them to point people to Jesus, what the disciples did. Friends, the vision of all ministries in our church needs to be centered around the person Jesus Christ. 
the leadership ministry, the prayer ministry, the preaching ministry, the fellowship ministry, the maintenance ministry, the women's ministry, and so on. All of it needs to be centered around the proclamation of the kingdom. The essence of the ministry needs to be kingdom-focused. If not, it is not worth doing. Not satisfied that we have all these empty seats in our chapel? Think that the seats can be better filled? Well, when we faithfully proclaim the kingdom, God will draw the people in as He did in Scripture. God's kingdom is attractive if only we have the courage to boldly proclaim it. Think verse 10 to 11, for example. On their return, the apostle told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowd learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. The best way to grow the church is when the people of the church faithfully proclaim Christ in all that they do. We all have a role to play. The preachers have a role to play. The leadership of the church has a role to play. And even the members here have a role to play. If we all do our parts, people will naturally want to see what is going on. Even in a desolate place like Bethsaida, they will follow them there. Friends, this was no small group of people. If you are ready, my friends, God will be ready to provide. How does 5,000 people around sound? That was how many people followed Jesus and the disciples to Bethsaida. Perhaps we may feel overwhelmed by the task before us. We hear the mission, but I'm uncertain how we can achieve the desired outcome. We have five loaves of bread and two fish. How are we going to feed the 5,000? We can't afford to buy food for those people. But instead of seeing the problem before us, see what Jesus does. He takes the five loaves and the two fish, looks up to the heavens, says a blessing, over them, and he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, set before the crowd. Jesus did not make the disciples go buy more bread and fish or gather an offering so that they can go buy food. Jesus uses what we already have to, to give to those who have yet to receive. Twelve basketfuls remained after that, in overwhelming, in overflowing. We may not have enough, but Jesus is our source of provision and the reason for our mission. If you only set your heart to it and believe it. In conclusion, do you think you are not good enough? If Willa from the submarine thought it that way, that patient on the submarine would have died if he did nothing. Had he not used what he had before him, the little experience that he had, the little tools that he had, the makeshift tools that he had, the miracle would not have occurred. That man would have died. Jesus is enough 
And he has commissioned us in the great commandment, and he great commission, sorry, and he has reminded us in communion in Luke chapter twenty-two, verse nineteen, to remember him. We all have a share in his body. Therefore, remember, we all have a share in his mission. Friends, Jesus does not expect us to be great or people of power and influence before we can proclaim the kingdom. Jesus wants you to be you. Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse nine to ten writes: Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For I am weak, then I am strong. Friends, the best way to preserve the gospel is by giving it away. How will you proclaim the kingdom? God today. Think about it this week. Reflect upon it as we end this message, and ask God in your own quiet time, how can I be used to proclaim God's kingdom today? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Indeed, I hope. The message that you have helped inspire me to write today will challenge our hearts. What are we going to do about it, Lord? Are we just going to listen one year in and one let send it out the other one, the other year? Or, like, or Lord Father, is it going to let us listen and absorb it, convict us, and challenge us to do your mission, to have that passion for your mission? And also to realize the urgency of your mission, Lord. You don't expect a whole lot from us. All you expect is us being who we are, to be used by you in your special way, so that we cannot boast that we did all this by our own strength, but we can boast that we did all this because of what you blessed us with. Lord, we want to see your church. Glory! We want to see your kingdom be proclaimed. So we pray, dear Lord, that you help us to have the same passion and compassion for those who have yet to hear the gospel. Help us, Lord, to be unafraid, to be unashamed, to proclaim your gospel today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.